Welcome everybody to the Extra Credit Show. I am Anselmo Moreno, and this week we have a very special guest, Mr. Nick Boone from Ascend Property Management and Real Estate. Good morning, Nick. How Good morning. are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm really happy to have you here on the show. I think that your experience in real estate is going to bring an awesome perspective to our listeners. Um, just so you know, we've been doing the show all of 2018, and we are hoping to continue it through 2019 and beyond. Um, and, you know, you're a, a young business owner, a millennial real estate yeah, owner. Yeah, those millennials. Right? Um, <laughs> and so I think that you would bring an interesting perspective because right now the narrative in real estate is that millennials are having a hard time owning real estate, right? And so you being a millennial, you owning real estate and running a real estate company, I'd like to get your insight as to, you know, how true that is and maybe why that is. Yeah, so, I mean, there's exceptions bakersfield's always been unique just because it's really affordable there's you know people that making six figures in the oil fields or you know so we have a lot of income here and it's not crazy expensive so millennials are definitely buying here um in like san francisco los angeles places like that definitely not buying there so i think the use a lot of those statistics and a lot of people looking at that see those cities and they're like yeah, millennials can never afford any house ever. Where it's like, well, I mean, in Bakersfield for 200 grand, like you could get a pretty nice house. So I think that's pretty true of huge metropolitan areas, but not like, you know, like Taft. Millennials can buy in Taft all day long. Like they're good. So yeah. And then you can commute to work somewhere else. If you live in Taft, you can commute to work somewhere else. Yeah. And a lot of people do. I mean, you know, from we have people from like Lake Isabella and like Taft and Shafter all coming to Bakersfield to work sometimes or whatever. Delano, we've had, I've had employees come from Delano. So it's not a huge, crazy commute, you know, especially when you look at like, uh, like I have LA clients come and they're like, how far away is it? And I'm like, well, it's kind of far. And they're like, how far? And I'm like, like 10 to 15 minutes. They're like, yeah, that's not far at all. Like, I'm, let's go there. I'm good. So that's pretty cool. It's all perspective. You know, you look at 15 minutes in Bakersfield and you're like, like, that's going to take me forever. You'll be across town in 15 minutes. So. Yeah. Now, historically, the argument of, say, buying a home is you, you want to buy a home because it's technically your monthly expense to your mortgage expense is cheaper than your rent expense. Um, and so that seems to be still true right now yeah, in Bakersfield. Definitely true. A um, lot of rentals. I mean, investors are going to buy it to make money. So if you're renting a property, somebody's making money on what you're paying them. So, so to, that obviously means that the rent has to be higher than the mortgage. Exactly. Yeah. And so do you think that's the same scenario in the big metropolitan areas? Like, so if, if it's so expensive to rent, say, in San Francisco, th is it still cheaper to rent in San Francisco as opposed to buy in San Francisco? Like, why can't people buy? Why can't young people buy in those areas? Yeah, so it's way cheaper to rent there. Um, and they have, like, rent control and they have, you know, all these things that are keeping them down. Rent control in San Francisco is still, like, five grand a month. So you're renting these two bedroom places and you know, one person's paying two to $2,500 a month for a two bedroom. So it's still crazy extravagant expensive, but the mortgage that those guys are paying are, you know, six, seven, $8,000 a month. So. Gotcha. So, so, you know, even though renting is crazy expensive, it's still cheaper than actually paying a mortgage. Right. Plus that like the programs there, like they still have down payment assistance programs, but it's not going to do a dent on a $750,000 house. Like you're still coming out of pocket a lot of money. So in a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar house in a big metropolitan area like San Francisco yeah. is like your plain Jane house. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're like that's like a you're living in the ghetto. Yeah, pretty much. 
That's pretty interesting, man. I, you know, I always find find that interesting. Obviously, we get exposed to the narrative of, you know, real estate is becoming too expensive for millennials to buy and, and you know, millennials being the number one job seeking consumer right now. Uh, they're entering the marketplace and they're kind of priced out of their own marketplace. And, and I feel that especially because we live in Bakersfield where it's so affordable to live. I'm like, I can't connect those dots. You know, I'm wondering how true that really is. Um, yeah. And it is just because we're in this town, you know, literally this pocket of affordability. It, yeah. So anywhere else, it, it's it's like even San Jose, it's, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars will get you a decent place, but nothing crazy where, you know, six hundred thousand dollars here is getting you the nicest pool you've ever seen on the golf course, you know, the whole nine yards. So definitely where they're looking at those statistics is in those huge cities where California is just crazy. Now, I remember when the sky fell and the real estate market crashed and the economy was just in the dumps, right? And we know that as the recession. Um, and I remember that Bakersfield statistically was one of the hardest hit cities as far as depreciation was concerned. Yeah. So as Bakersfield was one of the hardest hit cities as depreciation depreciation was concerned, uh, it, we seem to have bounced back pretty nicely. You know, what do you think about that? Yeah, we were definitely one of the hardest hit. There was, I don't remember where it was, but one article I saw also showed us as top three of recovery. So in terms of like fastest and strength and, you know, we had a ton of LA investors and these big REIT companies coming in and just buying hundreds of houses. So that definitely like, shot everything up really quickly. Um, I don't know exactly where we are at now. I know that we're still below our peak pricing, whereas places like San Francisco, LA have surpassed where they were peaked before. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they're already over where we're still. We're uh, still below our peak. Yeah. That's the interesting. The last time I saw it, I think it was like 25% below, but I don't know where we're at right this moment. And that's always a moving target too. Yeah. You know, that's definitely always a moving target. So. Now, you're running a, a real estate business, and one facet of your business is property management. What, what what would you say off the top of your head is like the biggest demographic of renters that you have? Would you say it's millennial renters? Um, I wouldn't say that. I, I think I think it's pretty spread out evenly. You know, because we have uh, lifelong tenants that'll never show an interest or want to own their own house, or maybe they can't. And we have people just moving here for a year that are working. We have people that are getting their first place from their parents. Like there's tons of different walks of life. So, I mean, I think to categorize it to like a generation or something, I think it'd be really tough to do for us. Wow. Okay. That's just because we don't track it, you know. Yeah. Not not only that, but it's just, I mean, life is circumstantial, you know. Yeah. You, you go through ebbs and flows and, and yeah. obviously uh, sometimes you need to rent. Sometimes you, you're able to buy and, and I think that's where a good a partnership uh, with us can really work well, especially with your consumers that are wanting to rent, but they don't want to rent forever. Right. You know what I mean? And I, what we do for people as a company, um, besides record these fun shows, is we help people <laughs> kind of build a plan um, to to get their credit, what we call mortgage ready. And it's interesting, you know, because we've been in business now for 12 years and the the narrative that you have out there when you hear the words credit repair and like the feeling I get and the vibes I get from clients is that the first thing they want to know is, well, how much do you charge? And the impression that they have is we're going to charge them a set fee. And then after a certain magic wand waving, we're going to give them back the report and it's going to be fixed, yeah. right? Repaired. And, and so I, I, I think that 
we want to get a definition of repaired, right? right. So I, I need to tell the client, all right, so this is what it means when your credit is actually repaired. And for the client in their head, all it means is that they're able to buy a house or they're able to buy a car or that their score may be a certain number, mm -hmm. right? So everybody has different understandings and perspective of what their credit repaired is actually going to be. So we got to get on the same page there. Like, your goal is X, right? And if their goal is, I want to be mortgage ready, then now we have a goal generally of a 640 FICO score. Mm -hmm. So that's normally going to be our, our first approach is how are we going to get you to 640? Well, obviously that's going to depend. If you have a 400, we have a long road ahead of yeah. us. If you have a 600, we may have an easy road ahead of us. So everyone's going to have a different approach as to how we get them there. But that's the first thing is let's figure out how we're going to get you to 640 and then what kind of time frame we think it's going to take to get you to 640. And then we basically reverse engineer it, right? This, we got to take care of this account. Maybe we got to rebuild a few accounts here. And so we set up this plan. Like it's literally a written plan of what needs to happen and goals of when they need to happen by in order for them to do it. That's been our most successful formula because people that are really gung-ho, they're going to follow the plan no matter what. I found that credit is like a really invisible thing. Like you can't really see it. You know, yeah. Historically, you weren't able to see it. I mean, now you can load it up on your phone and you, technically you can see it. But when you want a house or when you're really tired of your living situation, like these are the best clients. They're the ones that are living with their in-laws. Like they need to get out and they need to buy a now, house like fast. Need, yeah. you know? So those end up being the best clients. And right. so those are the ones that end up following our instructions and getting to the mortgage ready score uh, you know, normally with no hiccups and no problem. So we take a client that's currently renting, whether they're renting from you or maybe they're living with their mm -hmm. family, and we give them a plan to become mortgage ready. And I think that that can be something very helpful for a, a lot of consumers that are not wanting to rent forever, you know. Um, and there's obviously a lot of factors that are out there, but would you say that if you're able to pay rent, you're able to pay a mortgage? I mean, is that a... Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to have a place to live. Right. And if you're going to do that, and with all these programs out there, I mean... I've put people into houses for less than a security deposit. So they get into it for less than they think, and it's less than the rent would be. I mean, it's they just don't know that, you know. How does that work? So we, I do hear that a lot. And we're not lenders. We're not real estate agents. So we really don't understand the ins and outs of the programs. But that is something that we encounter a lot is, yeah. is um, first-time homebuyer programs yep. or down payment assistance programs. So what's really out there? Are these, you know, what's what's out there right now in November 2018? So right now we just closed um, some clients that were actually tenants that went to homeownership. Very cool. They, th there's a couple different things out there, and I'm not a mortgage lender, so I only know what I see. There's grants that are basically free money, and they give a percentage of the down payment to them. If they remain in that house and don't sell it for five years – the entirety of that debt is forgiven. So that is free money. Pretty much. Okay. If they sell it, they owe it back. And it's a sliding tier of if you sell it year two, you owe, you know, 80%, gotcha. year three. So that's how they kind of do that. If you own it for five years, you don't owe anybody anything. So it's kind of um, you're getting your first loan and then you're getting a silent second. And if your second hits its expiration date, the second's gone. And if you so if basically the goal is to keep the consumer in the house for a minimum of five years. Right. Okay. The other programs are a traditional second for down payment. So, you know, they get a loan like for two hundred thousand, they get hundred and eighty thousand dollar loan, and then they get a twenty thousand dollar second that they're paying on that as well. 
So it's still going to be less than, you know, just getting a full 100% loan because they're giving incentives and they're doing it. Sometimes they're doing it for a less interest rate than the first loan just to incentivize them to do it. So there's tons of programs and tons of different ways to do it. There's qualifications, there's income limits, there's stuff on all of those programs. But if you qualify, like it's a legitimate free, like real deal loan. And even if it's a second loan where you have to pay it back, it, it allows you to get into the game now, Yep. you know, without you having a way to save up that money. Uh, so that's kind of cool when you look at it that way. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's very individual. So like just like credit repair, it's like, well, you know, your credit, I've even though I've seen thousands of reports, I've never actually seen one exactly the same because everyone's circumstances are different. Um, and I'm assuming then that real estate can be like that. Have you ever seen a real estate, in a, a property that it's exactly the same as another one? No, I mean, you see similarities, obviously, yeah. but, you know, you're not going to see the exact same of everything. Yeah. And so, you know, because of that, it's it's pretty individualized. And, and uh, if you guys are are renting with the hopes of buying a home someday, you know, how early do you think that they need to start planning? Like, what would be the planning process? I would say, and this is, you know, going to be something that you can answer too. My suggestion to them is about six months. Um, but it depends on the severity. Like if they're in the 400s, six months, probably not that realistic. Right. It's not at all. <laughs> um, but they're, if they're at a 600, you know, six months, I think would be easily doable. Yeah. So that's a good question. I'm glad you threw that back at me because the way that we that we handle it is, okay, so we want you to apply for the mortgage when certain things on your credit look the way we want them to look. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing that's holding people back right now on their credit score is literally credit card debt. Like, yeah. like, so if you carrying credit card debt, a lot of people say, well, it's less than 50%. That's cool that you owe less than 50%, but it'd be much better if you owed zero. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so your, and your credit score would reflect a much higher score if you owed zero as opposed to 50% or 30%. Because I've heard it all. I've heard to keep them under 30, keep them under 50, under yeah. 20. The reality is, is the lower the, that your credit card balance is, the higher that your score is. And nowadays with... Um, apps like Credit Karma, we were talking about it earlier, you can literally check in on your credit report and get a, re a refresh pool every seven days for free. So you're able to like literally pay down your credit cards, hit the refresh button and, and see, see what your score does when your balances are low. And you always 100% of the time see your score go way up when your balances are zero, as opposed to being 50% or even worse, 100%. You know, yeah. you're maxed out. You're leaving a lot of points on the table. And that's how I like to explain it to consumers. It's like, okay, you can go apply right now with your balances at 50%. But keep in mind, you you could be leaving 40 to 50 points on the table. Yeah. Like you're applying for this loan and you could be 50 points higher if you just applied at a time when your credit cards were zero. So that's like the first goal is can we get your balances to zero? And some people are able to pay down their balances relatively quickly. And some people need six months or more to right. pay down those balances. Obviously, that's going to be individual for their budget and the amount of debt that they have. So, But that's like rule number one is... Yeah. Apply for this mortgage when you're at a zero balance. That's like the optimal time. And then secondary from there is, do we have any collections? I mean, obviously collections can uh, bring a score down. And most people can obtain a mortgage loan with a collection on their credit report. It's not necessarily like a deal breaker, right? See, I didn't even know that. Yeah, so you can have a 640 and have a collection on your report. Um, but 
if you didn't have the collection on the report, you might be 680. Yeah. And then, you know. And then you, you're paying less monthly. You, you could know? get more loan. You could get better rate. Right. right. So it's it's definitely like I would say an optimal time to apply for a mortgage is when you have zero credit card debt. Um, you got to have credit cards. They got to be open, but you just don't owe any money at the moment that you're applying. Yeah. You know, after you get the house, that's fine. Max them out again. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> right? but, but no one's looking. Like the, the, the message there is it's like nobody's looking at your report right now. Right. So th that's fine. But when someone's looking at the report, you want to have these things at zero. It's yeah. like how you optimize it. Um, the same thing with collections. There's a big narrative that medical collections don't affect your credit score. Like that's almost universal. Um, and we have a big like conflicting advice to our clients when they come in and they say, well, the lender said, don't worry about these medical bills. Have you heard that? I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. So, and we're like, well, we got to pay those medical bills. And are like, well, the lender said, I don't need to worry about them. You know, so we have this big conflicting, like, well, right. who do I believe? And, and so here's the, the breakdown of that. So if you have a 610, and you have three medical bills on your credit report and like, I don't know, two cell phone bills on the report that we got to get rid of. The easiest ones to get rid of are the medical bills. Like I can get rid of them and get you to the 640 like that if we deal with the medical bills, because those are going to be the ones that we can negotiate that they delete them off the report right away. Uh -huh. So it's like I call it easy fast points. Like we, we deal with those, we get quick points and it's like your score goes way up. Um, but the flip side of that is if you had a 640 and you have medical bills on the report, you can likely get a house without having to deal with the medical bills. Right. Right. But if you don't have a 640, the medical bills are likely in the way of you getting to a 640 or they can help you get there quicker. So we look at them as fast, easy points. Let's deal with those. But the narrative is don't deal with them because once I hit, once I hit 640, I don't have to deal with them. Yeah. But we're like, you're not hitting 640 with those Without, on, you know yeah. and so it's like yeah. you, you're looking at it from these two perspectives but most of the time we end up dealing with medical bills you know especially if it's a small bill that we can handle relatively quickly get it deleted and boom you know they get their points that makes sense i mean i've never because i've heard the same thing you know you don't have to deal with them but if it's a quick yes. boost sometimes it's our best like option for a quick boost. It's like where our best work is done. Where That's where you see a score go from 580 to 640 in 30 days. It's wow. because we deleted medical bills. Um, yeah, so, see, that makes sense. That's yeah. like, I mean, you can work in the morning, but you work much better with coffee. Yeah. Like this is the coffee to yes, your that, That's a great analogy. That's a great <laughs> analogy. So that, you know, that's what we do is we kind of help people make good decisions. We've been doing this for 12 years. So our ability to go, we've seen that before. Like I know what creditor will delete. I know what creditor will right. accept a settlement. I know their settlement parameters, be just simply because we've done it with them before. Yeah, and, and see, a lender's not going to know what you know. So I, that's definitely, I can see how that conflicts. Yeah. So so we, we definitely do good work there. And I think that if we, you know, take some of your guys, anybody that's renting, right, we can help them make a plan if they're if that's their goal. Like you said, there's lifelong renters for, and those have their own reasons. Uh, but I feel like you know, if you guys are listening to the Extra Credit Show, it's because you guys are wanting to improve your credit score, right? Right, And so people want to understand and really just master their credit score. It's normally going to be because they have a big end goal. And that end goal normally is real Buying estate. Buying a house. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 90% of the time it's going to be real estate. Um, so, and some people just want to have good credit because they understand now how important credit is. But yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what we do. And the goal of the show is to help educate people make these decisions. You know, we're based out of Kern County and we have 
the majority of our clients in Kern County. Um, so we can't help everybody in the United States, but through the show, I feel like we can reach more people mm-hmm. and help more people make better decisions. Because it's all about making the right decision. You know, do we pay this bill or do we not pay this bill? Do we dispute this bill or do we not dispute this bill? How do we rebuild our credit correctly? Right. Um, so, and even if you're not buying a house, credit has a, a role in getting qualified for renting. Yeah. So do you guys have, or, and so, so okay, so let me backtrack a little bit. We have clients that come in and say, oh, I can't rent a house. I need to fix my credit so I can get a house. Rent a house, not just by rent. And so we'll go, well, that's kind of hard because property management companies have their own rules. It's yeah. not like standardized mortgage guidelines where it's like, this is the rule and it's going to be universally applicable in most places, right? Yeah. A property management companies, you guys make up your own, like, we're just living by the seat of our pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, not necessarily, but you have your own standards and, and yeah. they don't necessarily apply. To and they're this, all oh, different. Right. Yep. So what do you guys, you know, how do you guys manage that? What are your guys' guidelines or qualifications before you let somebody rent a house? So we do, and I think we're unique in this sense. We do um, about a 15 point value system on who the person is. So credit applies for a percentage of the points that they can get. If they have above a 600, they get a point for that. If they have above a 700, they get another point. We look at you know their actual credit report. We look at a variety of things. But if they just, let's say they just got a divorce last week, their credit is going to be horrible Yeah. more, more often right. than not. Yeah. We get that. We're not going to say, you know what, we'll never rent to you because your credit's so bad. If they have a great job, they've been there for 10 years, they owned their own house before. They rented somewhere for you know five years or whatever. Those are all trends of hey, this person's reliable. They're going through a bad situation. That's somebody we can help out. And that's kind of where we differ. In we don't say oh here's their number denied. We say hey who's this person? What's their scenario? What are they going through? And if they have you know a terrible credit score and they don't have a job right now and they you know and all this stuff adds up, yeah, the credit score definitely factors into us denying them. But it's not the only thing we look at for them. Because if you have a 640, you can buy a house. <laughs> right. So, you know, but we have people with 800 credit scores renting. We have people, you know, under 600 renting. It's just there's not a one-size-fits-all. So we didn't try to make a one-size-fits-all for everyone. That's a great approach because there's always circumstances behind the credit score. I've seen really bad credit reports. And generally they're going to be tied to some type of life catastrophe, mm-hmm. whether it's a divorce, right? Maybe some type of really big medical issue that yeah. they went through and obviously their credit just took a hit. Um, you know, some big life event that it was normally extenuating circumstances as to why their credit report looks the way that it looks like. So I think taking that human approach and really looking into the person, like you said, right. that's really cool because ultimately um, you really want to gauge their ability to pay. And technically... Credit scores are supposed to do that, but they don't always get it right. That's you know? true. And it's exactly like you said. It's a life catastrophe. That's why their credit's – I mean, if they're having a life catastrophe every six months. <laughs> then it's – yeah, you're right. There's I a mean, trend there, you know. There's and, choices there that are – And cool. our goal is for the homeowner to collect rent. And if we don't feel that they're going to collect rent on this person, we would deny them. If we feel that we would collect rent and that they would leave the house in a suitable condition, we'll approve them. That's kind of our, like, will you pay? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Like, that's the we'd love to have that. you. <laughs> you know? 
That's but, the goal. But we don't look at one certain circumstance and we're like, no, this person will never rent from us. Because there's things that happen. That's And we've approved people that have had evictions before. Very, very rare. But if they can prove documentation and court appearances and all this stuff, and we let the homeowner know and say, hey, here's what happened. Like, I really believe this person. They have their documentation. They're very forthcoming. Wow. So you consult with the homeowner on these? Yeah. On every single one, we consult with them. Oh, wow. So they get final approval on who they're approving. So sometimes that's really, really good. Sometimes they're it's kind of picky. Picky. Yeah. Um, but we do that with, you know, the assumption of like keeping it within the law and, you know, they can only, we only send them the information that they can make the decision on, you know, so they can't get really detailed information, how many are in their family, stuff like that. Like we can't tell them that, but they can make a decision based on that person. Gotcha. So if they have a low credit score, typically we'll go to battle for them if we believe that they'll be a good tenant. Say, hey, they're kind of low. Here's what happened though. They've kind of been following up every day. They're really excited. Like, I think they would be pretty good. Maybe we charge them more of a deposit. Maybe we work with them at some point. But we'll go to bat for them if we feel that we can collect rent from them. So do you do you have the situation where you go to the landlord and you have multiple qualified people um, and then they just pick the best one? Is that common? Or what, <laughs> where's, where are we at right now? Oh, yeah. So you can't illegal. do that. So it has to be first come, first serve. Wow. Yeah. So if he says, are there other applicants for my property? We can say yes. But you have to deny this one first. But you have to deny this one first. Wow. So if you have... I did not know that. Yeah, most people don't. Is that a California rule? Yeah. I wonder how how that translates to other states in the country. I know California is pretty unique Unique in in everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so we... And we have to, you know, be the bearer of bad news. Same thing with like pets. Like they can say, no, they don't want pets in their house unless they're an emotional support pet, unless they're a support animal, any of that. Like, we can't deny them at all. Even if it's a no pet rule, Even if, if it's, it's a support animal. Yep. Can you still charge them a pet deposit if it's a support nope. animal? No, because it's not a pet. They're like, hey, I have this pet iguana for emotional support. I'm like, cool, like I want an iguana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's all I can say. There's Those are interesting rules, yeah. man. I did not know that. Um, yeah. So we, in the credit repair business, we deal with a lot of collections that are property management based. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's the first thing we want to deal with when the consumer wants to rent another property is we deal with it's like, well, you have you owe this property management company. So if another property management company, when they pull your report and they see that you owe this property management, normally it's an automatic disqualifier. Yeah. That's normally how it works. Yeah. Um, but obviously all property management companies have their own criteria. So, but that's normally how we address it. And most of the time it's with a collection agency and it's, Pretty simple. We just negotiated and make a settlement. But we've had some fun cases where the consumer had pictures of how they left the property. And when you look at their itemized station of their move out statement, they're charging them for like cleanup and painting. But the consumer had pictures to the contrary. And those have turned out to be pretty fun fights Um, to the point where we've had our clients sue um, the property, the, the property management yeah. company and, and take them to small claims and win. Yeah. Um, so it's been, those, obviously that's not a, a all the time thing, but those are very memorable because yeah. it was just so crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's very interesting. So, yeah, I mean, we, we do deal with those quite a bit. Um, and, and we, we're, we're pretty open to both the tenant and the, the homeowner. So if the homeowner is trying to do something that we don't agree with, or that's not fair to the tenant, we are at bat for what's fair. 
So we've had to, you know, pull money from the owner saying, hey, this isn't the tenant's fault. Like, this, the property did this. He's not going to pay for that. That's just not fair. That's cool. And if the tenants, you know, I mean, the number one dispute we get is security deposits. Every time somebody moves out, there's a problem with security deposit. Our stance on it is prove to us that you don't need to pay for that and you won't pay for it. You can show us pictures or you can show us something that maybe we made a mistake. I mean, we're all human. Right. If you can show us we've done something incorrect or that we mischarged you, we won't mischarge you. But we're pretty detailed and pretty paper-oriented. So, you know, it, it, but again, if there was a mistake made, like, I'll be the first to say, yeah, well, let's let's refund you or let's get you the correct amount or yeah, just out of fairness. Right. And I mean, that's just part of just it's just part of, you know, being good at communicating with people and just letting let's just have a conversation about it right you know and so that's really cool man i'm, I'm really glad that you you took the time to come on the show yeah um so um, do you have anything else any last parting words for our, our people no buy a house buy a house from us yeah <laughs> rent from us buy from us let us manage pretty that's, that's very cool man that's very cool how long have you had your company now for so the actual company is coming up on its fourth year. Fourth year. So January will be uh, the fourth anniversary. But I've been doing it for nine years. So you've seen a lot of things. Seen a lot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah. not as crazy as you have seen. but Well, I'm sure you have. I mean, we all have our extremes in, in yeah. our side of the thing. So very cool, man. Again, I just want to thank you for coming on the Extra Credit Show. Guys, that's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. I am Anselmo Moreno. This is Nick Boone, and we'll see you guys next week.